You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hey, everybody, and welcome into the Rocky Top Rewind here on this Sunday night, VolQuest.com and VolQuest on the YouTube channel. I appreciate you guys for being here. I'm Mary Kane. That is Brent Hubs. We have got a full slate ahead of us as we're live here on the YouTube channel until 9 o'clock Eastern Time. Tennessee Titans coach Alec Ablin is set to join us in just a couple of moments. Tennessee defensive lineman Byron Young, who was fresh off an appearance at the, in uh, Mobile, at the Senior Bowl for the Reese's Senior Bowl, he'll join us in segment number two. Grant Ramey will join us at 8.30 to discuss Tennessee basketball and its win over Auburn. And then Austin Price will join us at 8.45 to uh, kind of close out the show. A lot going on right now. And, of course, $29.99 for one year. VolQuest.com subscription. And uh, it's a great deal right now up until kickoff for the 2023 season. Brent Hubs, a lot going on right now. The big news of the week uh, would be Tennessee has closed out its coaching staff for 2023 and promoting uh, Alec Ablin from Offensive Analyst to tight ends coach. Yeah, and uh, obviously Josh Heupel uh, feel very comfortable with Alec and uh, where he's at and uh, a good backstory, interesting story. They've been around each other for a long time and he's been around this offense for a long time and I'm sure he's excited about the opportunity that's in front of him here and uh, Josh Heupel again showing a ton of confidence with people within his building. He did the same thing with Kelsey Pope a year ago uh, going that same route with Alec Ablin now. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, joining us right now here on the Rocky Top Rewind is new Tennessee Titans coach Alec Ablin. Alec, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. Congratulations and uh, good Sunday evening. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Alec, I want to know, man, how uh, how excited are you for this opportunity, kind of getting the, the word that you were going to get promoted up and uh, to join the on-the-field staff and kind of what's ahead with this offense and everything going on with Rocky Top right now? How excited are you to, to kind of have this new role? There's really not words. Um Obviously, as a young coach, you work a lot of hours, spend a lot of time in the building, and hope you get a chance for this. And uh, couldn't be more excited to get to work. Alec, when you think about the process, I mean, I'm sure you were hoping to be a candidate when, when Coach Golish left. You weren't sure what direction for sure that Coach Heupel was going to take. What's the last two months been like? Has it been something you've thought a lot about, or if you have you not allowed yourself to think about it and – just kind of put the head down and go to work. How have you approached this two-month period of, of waiting on an answer? You know, I think you got to treat it like anything else and just control what you can control and um, be lying if I said I wasn't able to think about it or kind of push it away. But, um, you know, as soon as, you know, Coach Golish left and Coach Hype and I had initial conversations just about the process and what it would look like, um, really was just excited to get to work with the guys and, been through the bowl game and um, even the last couple of weeks, just getting to spend time with them and kind of getting to grow in that role and kind of show them one that someone they can trust and be confident and being able to help them, but also um, really just confirm myself that shoot, man, you can do this. You're supposed to be doing this You're You're ready for this. And uh, you know, it's obviously would have loved for it to happen right away and have, 
a lot better sleep for a couple months. But um, at the same time, I'm glad it did play out the way that it did. I know um, just there's a timing for everything. And uh, the way that it happened, really, you don't realize until looking back. But things were there for a reason. And I'm really grateful that it played out like it did. Alec, with your background, obviously a former offensive lineman at Missouri in the SEC, uh, working with Glenn Ellerby and the offensive line at a couple different stops, even here at Tennessee, how is that going to help you coaching the tight ends that obviously have a, a huge role in, in blocking and doing a lot of other things in this offense? Well, people forget I was actually so bad at blocking people. My uh, senior year, I actually got moved to a tight end fullback role. and <laughs> uh, You know, it, that's one of the things I think about Coach Hype and um, you know, I'd started games until an injury uh, my junior year as a guard. And um, going into my senior year, got beat out. And I think on a lot of places and a lot of programs, um, it's just kind of tough and is what it is. And um, we had some special tight ends at Missouri at that time, but people were banged up. And for Coach Hype to see not just an opportunity to give me a role, but be able to help and um, kind of shift to that room, like, made that year so much fun for me just in that I still had a role. And as far as football just grew in my love of the game, as far as how it translates to tight end play, I think the run game is obvious. Uh, schematically, we're all on the same page. It all fits. There's really six guys, a back and a quarterback that are making the run game go protection wise, um, not just who they're supposed to be on, which I think is maybe the hardest part, but how to actually get them blocked. Um, but don't get it twisted. I think in the route, um, I've been in this offense since I was 20 years old. I've been in the staff room since I was 22. You see a lot. You learn a lot. Um, you understand space. I'm a football junkie at heart. So to me, that part of the game is really exciting. And something that just because I'm an O-lineman, um, still feel really confident about that side of it as well. Alec, lots of people are going to wonder or, or be curious and, and keep a close eye on how recruiting goes, right? And, and it's not just one guy. Let's be real honest here. I mean, Tennessee is a program that sells itself as a program, not just one individual. But but what are the challenges for being a first-time coach in recruiting? What, what are you looking forward to? What do you think is the biggest thing you have to learn, hurdle you have to cross, if you will. Talk a little bit about kind of where you are in the and in, in being able to now go on the road and recruit. Yeah, I think first and foremost, I'm really excited about it. It's uh, whenever guys are able to come on campus, that's obviously the best part of recruiting is a sports staff guy, just because you get to meet their families, you get to be in person with them. Um, with rules, we're allowed to communicate over the phone, and that's something that, you know, Coach Eiffel, Coach Ellerby have done a great job of um, – not just encouraging, but using support staff in recruiting where you are involved, even without being the full-time guy. But in terms of as the full-timer, one, having the ability to go see them in person, having the ability to sit down and meet mom and dad, um, go visit high schools. I know I'm excited to get back to St. Louis and see some of those guys and um, really just get in front of these tight ends, to be honest with you. I'm really excited about it. Alec, you um, you obviously played under Josh Hopple and Glenn Ellerby uh, your last couple of years in Missouri, and you've been with them in the meeting room for for quite some time. There was a brief period when you were at Ole Miss, and then uh, when Josh Hopple got the job here at Tennessee, you know, offered a position, and you decided to come back. Why did you decide to come back at that point in time? And you know, what have you kind of learned uh, more from Hypo and Ellerby these last two years uh, here on Rocky Top? 
Yeah. Um, it was an easy decision to come back for a lot of reasons. Um, as a young coach, every move I made was growth focused. And I think at UCF, I learned so much about who I wanted to be as a coach, who I wanted to be as a person. Um, obviously got just fully immersed in what we do on offense. Um, with the decision to go to Ole Miss, there was a ton of growth there and just being with Lev and being back in the SEC, getting to learn from a different O-line coach that um, had roots in the offense and um, getting to work for Coach Kiffin was a great experience. I learned a ton. Um, at the end of that year, when Coach Hype called, it was not a tough decision to come back. And um, just the last two years, it's really interesting. So at UCF, obviously, situation you walk into is, you know, they were undefeated, Peach Bowl champs the year before Coach Hype got there. And I got there in year two. So as far as guys knowing what was going on, standard being set, system being in place, um, kind of came into it um, in year two. And at Ole Miss, year one, COVID hits a little bit different situation there. But really getting to see Coach Hype and Coach Ellerby year one here at Tennessee, Coach Halsley, the same thing, reminded me a ton of when I was 20 years old, junior at Missouri, and things we were 120th in offense the year before and ended up having a lot of success. But just to me, what was so striking this turnaround coming back was just what year one looks like when you are building trust, when you are getting guys to buy in when you've got 20 guys that have transferred out before you even get there and you got half a roster and just kind of where the program was at two years ago to where it is today is really kind of cool looking back. And, um, you know, I think it speaks volumes about who we are as a staff and really who those kids are. And, um, I think about guys like Hendon, guys like Jerome Carvin, um, dudes that really early bought in and kind of changed the culture of this place. But, um, no, that's that's really the biggest thing in the last two years is just what it looks like to totally flip a place culture-wise. Alec, I'm going to ask you one more, and we got to let you go because I know you got to you got to get going, and, and you got some stuff you got to get done here in a couple of minutes. But I do want to ask you about your position group specifically. You inherited an interesting room. Jacob Warren's a KG veteran. You've got a transfer coming in who's a veteran who's played a lot of football in a different system. And then you're searching after that. Can you talk a little bit about kind of what you're looking for this spring, what your focus is between now and the start of spring with your guys? I mean, it's it's the cliche ball coach answer, but just looking to see everybody compete. Um, obviously, Jacob's awesome and really excited that he's back. Um, just in a couple of weeks, getting to work with Callie, I think ball fans should be really excited about what he's going to be able to do this fall. Um, we've got a bunch of other guys that are going to contribute in terms of whatever their role may be, whether it's something that I, how I was used as a senior, whether it's something along those lines, and uh, whether we play more 12, whether we play more 11, there's a lot of guys in the room that have a chance to help us. Um, I think Ethan Davis is going to be really special. Um, really excited that I get to work with him. And, uh, you know, spring is really about seeing how much we can put on those guys early and really seeing you know, are they going to be able to be ready? Um, more so Ethan, just as a true freshman. It's a little bit different for Cali, um, just in having played three, four years of college football. Uh, but really looking forward to the spring and seeing those guys grow. Hey, Alec, man, appreciate the time. I know I know you got a busy night here coming up, so squeezing about 10 minutes in with us to kick off this uh, Rocky Top Rewind. We appreciate it. Congratulations. Look forward to seeing what you and the rest of the staff does with this team over the spring and next year. And uh, we'll have to get you back on soon, all right? 
course, guys. Thanks for having me. Of course, that is Tennessee's new tight end coach, Alec Ablin. Uh, third promotion from within. Real quick, Brent, um, Josh Heupel, we talk about it all the time. He's very secretive, very protective of his offense. Promotes Kelsey Pope up last year. Promotes Joey Halsley up to offensive coordinator. And now um, Alec Ablin from analyst to tight ends coach. I think it says something, and it's almost like that's kind of how it should be, right? You, you bust your tail, you get the promotion, you go up. But, I mean, this is kind of a, a Josh Heupel trademark now. Yeah, it certainly has proven to be the case. And and I think you could hear it in, in, in Coach Ablin's voice. I mean, his confidence in this offense and his knowledge and his depth of knowledge in this offense as a former guard who learned it on the field as a player. You know, he's not a guy who's come in from somewhere else and learn, had to learn it as a as a guy rooted in a different system. This is the system he's been rooted in since he was 20 years old, as he mentioned. I, I think the biggest question and the biggest challenge that he has and what's going to be interesting to watch is just what is the recruiting ability? What's the reaction long-term with recruits with him? Um, and, and it's not to say he can't recruit. That's not the suggestion at all. It's just, there's no resume there. Uh, and so that's something that he'll have to uh, really work on and really um, prove himself over the next couple of years. But again, it's not just him. Okay. It's everybody's got to recruit. Everybody's got to help. Uh, the program's obviously got to sell itself. You got to continue to have success on the field, but um, from a football knowledge standpoint, anybody you talk to will tell you how, how much he knows about this system and, and why that's why Josh Heupel went this way. Cause it's the, from a transition standpoint, um, it, it, it's an easy transition football wise. It's just, they've got to go out and be able to recruit. Uh, hope to be joined by Byron Young here in the next couple of moments. But before we do, Trent does have a question here, Brent. He says, do you really think they need more than two tight ends with the lack of rotation on offense because of the tempo, obviously for depth and injuries is nice, but would a third actually play? There have been formations, Brent, to where they do have three tight ends on the field. Not an awful lot, normally in the goal line situations. But the way I kind of see that is Tennessee's been very fortunate the last two years to not have injuries at that tight end position. Because if so, I think they'd be up a creek a little bit. Yeah, well, and here's the thing. I mean, you see at the goal line, you might see them get into two tights. But they, they had to avoid being in a lot of two tight situations because they couldn't take a chance of getting somebody banged up. Yeah. Or getting somebody wore, wore out. Now, um, we'll see where Heupel and Joey Halsley go. Alex Golish got a lot of tight end background, okay? He was at Iowa State, tight end guy. He incorporated some more tight end stuff, I think, into Josh Heupel's offense when when he was with him at, at UCF and then obviously at Tennessee. I don't think Golish ever got into all the tight end stuff he wanted to get into because he didn't feel like he had enough depth to be able to do that. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're going to have to – they need to find a third tight end for a couple of reasons. One, for depth for this year. But the two guys he just talked about, your transfer and Jacob Warren, are seniors, right? I mean, they're, they're done after this year. So you better develop a third tight end and a fourth tight end this year where you can roll into next season, you know, next spring, thinking, okay, we've got a chance here. We're not going to put this all on freshmen or we're not going to put this all on Ethan Davis and a couple of transfers out there. So – um, Eric, I, I think you absolutely, to, to answer Trent's question, I, I think you have to uh, continue to build there. And, yeah, you need you need three tight ends because, as you mentioned, very fortunate with two guys who have struggled with injury their whole career that you got through the season the last two years with Princeton Fant and Jacob Warren the way you have. All right, we're going to roll on here with this Rocky Top Rewind, take a short 60, and when we return, we hope to be joined by Tennessee defensive end Byron Young, who was down in Mobile, Alabama for the Reese's Senior Bowl what was that experience like, and how much did he help himself? We'll hear from Byron Young when we return right here on the Rocky Top Rewind.
Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewind every Sunday night, 8 o'clock until 9 o'clock Eastern time. Brent Hubs, I am Eric Kane, and uh, please like this video and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. As we wait for our next guest to join the show, Brent, Tennessee and All-Star Games, a lot of noise has been had. Darnell Wright, a lot of positive praise. Hinton Hooker, though, uh, he couldn't even join the the, the on-the-field festivities, but he was there. And then Byron Young, uh, little, we'll start with Darnell Wright uh, getting a practice player of the week honor and a lot of first-round chatter here from Mobile. Well, and, and I'm not stunned that – I mean, I'm not surprised that that he's the guy who generated buzz. Um, you know, I, I think the, the biggest question a lot of people had with him was kind of what kind of personality is he, who is he, because he had not done any media during his time um, at, at Tennessee. Um, and, and so that that's a result, I think, Eric, and, and some people wondered kind of what he was about. And – on the field, I don't think anybody had any questions. What uh, that many questions? What he was going to be able to do? And uh, I thought his physicality showed up, his quickness showed up, and we all know how much uh, you know the NFL is looking for tackles. And uh, I think he certainly has helped himself a great deal. I don't know about the first round. We'll see. It's all going to be about right team, right place, right situation. Uh, but there's no doubt he's going to hear his name called earlier in the draft, and some people thought it would be before he went to the Senior Bowl uh, and, and got started there. So. Um, good for him. I'm, I'm happy for him. I, I thought he performed well. Um, I think Jerome Carvin in a different bowl game did, did some good things. As for Hendon Hooker, I mean, really, Eric, are we surprised that people are impressed with Hendon Hooker when they visit with him and they, and they talk to him? Um, I, I don't think anybody is, is, is stunned by that idea or, or that notion that, that Hendon Hooker is impressive when you visit with him. The one thing is that, that Hendon Hooker did a good job of that helped himself was it wasn't just he was there politicking or he was there, you know, kind of bouncing around to see people. He was engaged with everything that was going on football-wise, meeting rooms, you know, on the sidelines and the huddles trying to learn as much as he could. Uh, I think that a lot of NFL people came away feeling like he's uh, much more or, or as much of a football junkie as they were hoping he was he would be, and that's what you got to have at that position. You, you got to have a quarterback – who's hundred percent invested in what he does. And uh, I think we, I think those of us who've covered him know that that's who Hendon Hooker is outside. People still want to see it for themselves and they got a taste of it this week. Yeah. Jim Nagy, who's the director of the senior bowl. He joined the Paul Feinbaum show uh, earlier this week and was essentially asked like, Hey, why, you know, why is Hendon Hooker there? He's hurt. He's injured right now. And uh, he's like, Hey, he was the face of college football this past year. He deserves to be here. And it's a unique situation, but we're going to allow him that opportunity to meet with these teams and to sit in the meeting rooms and see what he's got. And so, um, yeah, no shock that he's down there. No shock that you're hearing a lot of good, uh, uh, good things from him down there. And as far as Darnell writes, I mean, you know, the people who are down there covering this bowl, Lewis Reddick, you know, ESPN is, is one that comes to mind. He mentioned him as one of his guys who stood out. Um, you had former NFL general manager, uh, Mike, you know, Tannenbaum saying that's, you know, he's a 40-plus game starter on the SEC. Unbelievable week. He's going to make himself into the first-round type pick. 
uh, that's that's really good news in there. And then and Byron Young appeared on some other boards as well as a guy that was popping on video and all that. So, you know, back to Hendon Hooker a little bit. How much can he specifically help himself this week, not going through those drills, uh, but just being there, whereas you see some other quarterbacks who had the opportunity to be there, uh, chose not to go. Well, and I think that's the thing. I mean, you know, Hendon wanted to be around as many NFL guys as he could be around. And, and he's it's a smart move by Hendon to do that because – I mean, teams aren't going to fly Hendon Hooker around the country to come to their facility and spend the day with him because they can't work him out, right? He's not going to go through pro day. So if Hendon Hooker wanted to get in front of the NFL, that was going to be his opportunity to do it, and he took full advantage of that. Think about the noise Hendon Hooker has made, Eric, in the last two months, right? I mean, and it's all been about who he is and what he's about. I mean, here's a guy who got national stories written about him for zooming in to team meetings for, a, a, you know, a team getting ready for a bowl game with, with his friend Joe Milton to help him out as much as he can, while a lot of other guys are opting out. And when they opt out, they just disappear, right? They, I mean, they're not – they're done, you know. And uh, he was not doing that at all. So he gets plenty of a claim for that. That's a check mark in his favor. Then he goes to the Senior Bowl and interacts with the, what, everybody the way he does and, um, again, helps himself. I mean, when you're in his situation with the injury standpoint, you've got to find everything you can do to make yourself more marketable and to make somebody believe in you. You know, somebody's got to be sold on you. And you do that, in Hendon's case, because he can sell his personality and he can sell what he's about from a work ethic standpoint. And I think he did a, a solid job of that smart of him to take full advantage of the opportunity he was given by the senior bowl. Yeah, no doubt. Especially too. I mean, the, I feel like the quarterback position down there in mobile this week with all respect um, was just not, not very good. If you had a healthy Hendon hooker down there, I mean, if you had a guy like Stetson Bennett who, you know, turned down that invitation to be there and then obviously that he didn't have a very good week, I think it would have been a whole lot better, but Hendon hooker being there, Meeting, greeting, I think it went a long way for him. Others who competed in All-Star Games this past week, we mentioned about Latrell Bumpus doing the NFLPA Bowl last weekend, but you had Jeremy Banks, linebacker, and then you had uh, offensive lineman Jerome Carvin and tight end Princeton Fants. They took part in the Shrine Bowl, and the Shrine Bowl's been around for, gosh, you know, 50-plus years or whatever. It's another type All-Star showing, and it's another showcase to where it's kind of the level down in terms of All-Star Games, but a chance to be seen and heard, and a lot of those guys help themselves out a lot, like Jerome Carvin, who's been here for five years and pretty much been a five-year starter. Well, and here's the thing you got to remember about All-Star Games. It has nothing to do with the game. The game, the game's irrelevant, right? I mean, you know, I mean, it's about what you do throughout the entire week, and it's about how you practice. It's about how you, how you handle things in one-on-ones. It's about how you are in the meeting room. It's a week-long audition or interview, if you will, um, and that's the way if you're a player, you have to approach it. What you do in the game is irrelevant. I mean, nobody's drafting you if you're the if you're the game MVP. You're, you're, you're not climbing up a bunch of draft boards. It's, a, it's about how you perform throughout the week. And, and the, the, the talk about the Tennessee players is about how they know how to practice. They practice the right way. Um, and, and they ha- have shown some skills in, on the practice field. Um, that, that are important, you know, how that shows up on a, all, on a specific all-star game doesn't matter. It's about what you do during the week. And, and I don't think that any of these guys, you know, hurt themselves during the week. I, I'm, I'm going to be really curious to see where Jerome Carvin ends up in the back half of this draft. 
um, and, and kind of what that looks like. The, the one thing Carvin has going for him is very similar to what Darnell Wright has going for him. The durability factor, Eric, is huge in the National Football League. Yeah. You got 53 players that you're active with, right? You got a 53-man roster. You're really only taking 48 into a game, something like that. So you're not taking 10, 12 offensive linemen. You need somebody with you need guys with durability and the fact that both those guys played as many snaps as they played in college gives you hope and, and belief that you know those are durable guys. And, and I think that's something that's going to factor in to both of those guys' resume when it comes time for you know guys to get the draft board and in the war room and start looking and, and seeing where they may fall. You know, we got we um it's kind of hard to believe. I mean, there's a couple of different Tennessee Vols that are being, you know, talked about as being first round draft picks. Most notably here lately, it's been Darnell Wright because of his strong performance down in Mobile. But uh, Jalen Hyatt's been rumored as a first round draft pick ever since the Alabama game. Um, and, and that chatter will ramp up again once he runs at the NFL Combine and and does some things at the at the pro day and whatnot. But you have him. I heard some chatter and read some reports about New Orleans, you know, giving that extra draft pick in the Sean Payton trade at 29th, I believe, in the first round. And that might be a scenario where you see Hendon Hooker even get drafted in the first round because, you know, there's going to be three quarterbacks drafted in the top 10. Then you'll have Anthony Richardson at some point. And then Hooker's that next one to go. So we know how quarterbacks slide in the draft. We have plenty of time to talk about all this and everything, but it kind of um, just wild to, wild to even think and, and talk about a couple of Tennessee volunteers being rumored uh, as first-round draft picks. Well, and it's it's great for, for Josh Heupel in recruiting. It's great for the current players on the team to understand and continue with the buy-in from a development standpoint. Because, as you, uh, you know, we well know, that those guys weren't on anybody's draft board two years ago. Um, heck, Jalen Hyatt went on anybody's draft board a year ago when, when, when he was here. So um, it, it gives a lot of credibility – um, and it's a credit to those kids, but it gives a lot of credibility to the coaching staff that you can sell in recruiting. Um, and and it, it's a, you know, it's a positive thing for fans to go, hey, this staff is developing people. I continue to believe in them. It helps you in recruiting. It helps you in your own meeting rooms with your guys to see how they've developed. Um, there's no doubt about that, because I think, Eric, we are, lo- we are past the days in recruiting where the facility really matters. Right. You can build all the slides and volleyball courts and miniature putt putt courses and outdoor fire pits and outdoor basketball courts and all those things that you want to. Kids are looking for, you know, NIL opportunities in the short term, but ultimately they're still looking for all the same thing. Do I have a chance to play at the next level coming out of that school? Can they help me get to my ultimate goal? And that's playing in the next level. And, and I think that's why it's important that Tennessee has some guys hear their name called earlier in the draft and not late in the draft where they end up making a team, you know, or, or a free agent guy end up making a team, but a guy who gets drafted early because of the work he's done at the University of Tennessee. We're going to have Grant Ramey join us here in a couple of minutes to break down Tennessee basketball and what happened over the last week. A one-on-one record, obviously a, an ugly loss to Florida on the road and surviving over Auburn on Saturday. But before that, let's get to Dan's question here. He said, is Nico's brother – Going to be down the list for Tennessee, Madden, Iamaliava, quarterback, 2025 class. Uh, we, we've been discussing some 2025 quarterbacks the last month or so, but I, I think for for Madden, Brent, um, he's never really played, right? And this is going to be a good opportunity for him this spring and spring practice and obviously this upcoming fall 
to really kind of put his stamp on, you know, what the measurables are and to the to, to his last name. I think once he gets out there and actually plays, then there'll be a lot more talk about Madden. Yeah, I don't. I, I think you know he, he's always. I mean, he's talked about because he's Nico's little brother. Yeah, you know, and and so there's always this assumption that that means little brother is going to be a really good player. Um, we just don't know. We'll, we'll see where his development is at because he, as you mentioned, has not played like a McIntyre has played, mm-hmm. you know, George McIntyre who's in the, um, in the 25 class and some of these other 25s that Tennessee's already talking to, you know, they're three year starters and that's not the case with Madden. Uh, Madden could be a guy who burst on the scene, um, you know, depending on how he plays. So we'll see what that looks like this fall. It's probably a little too early to cast a judgment either way. Um, on, on how big of a commodity he's going to be, not just for Tennessee, but for schools around the country. Tennessee's already wrapped up two junior days here to kick off the 2023 calendar year. There will be another junior day coming up uh, in March, and uh, there'll be a lot of guys back on campus, see some spring practices. The orange and white game, which will take place at Neyland Stadium. And, and Brent, that's always been free of charge, correct? Uh, it depends. Okay. Most of the time, yes. Okay, so there'll be a lot of guys in town to see that. I don't that. know what that looks like this year, but most of the times, yes. Yeah, it's, it's been one of the questions that's been asked uh, to me the last couple of weeks, and I'm like, as far as I know, it's always been yes, free. As but far I guess as I know, so as far as I know, it's going to be free, and, and yeah. I think um, it, it, I would expect that it will be this week or this year as well. So that's coming up in the next couple of months. Recording never stops. Tennessee basketball still on. Uh, the back half of the SEC schedule, kind of an up and down week, but a quad one win the other day against Auburn albeit it was not pretty. We'll get Grant Ramey's thoughts on that and a whole lot more with Tennessee basketball when we return right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Tennessee basketball, a one-and-one week. But hey, a win is a win, despite how ugly it may look. On the bright side of things, Brent's, Elite defense for Tennessee basketball, the number one ranked defense in the country in that 46-43 to win over Auburn. As we welcome you guys back into the Rocky Top Rewind every Sunday night, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock Eastern time. And Grant Ramey now joins the show, our colleague over at VolQuest.com. Uh, Grant, I think at the end of the day, it is another quad one win for Tennessee with elite defense, but that was that was tough to watch. It was tough to watch, and yes, it is a quad one win, and it's it's a, an ugly win. Um, but you you have to think what the last twenty four hours would have been if it not, did not end the way it ended. If it was an ugly loss, I mean, it would have been uh, the snowball and people losing their minds. I'm sure people are losing their minds anyway. But it is at the end of the day, it's a quad one win. You have really good defense. You've leaned on it all year. You leaned on it again. You had as poorly as you could have played offensively, and they still found a way to win that game. And, and it's a team Auburn that's given them trouble in the past. Now, you look back at Michigan last year, everybody likes to talk about that game and taking away a three-point line. You look at Kentucky a month ago or three weeks ago, whenever that was, taking away a three-point line. They went to Florida Wednesday. They lost that game because they could not hit a three-point shot and they couldn't stop get a stop against Florida. This time around, they didn't hit a shot from the three-point line. I think they were two for 21 
9.5% or something like that. And they still found a way to win a game. So it was ugly. It was not fun to watch, but it might have been a sign of, of progress of, you know, even a, on the night when shots aren't falling at a pretty incredible rate, uh, you still found a way to beat a pretty good basketball team. All right, Grant. So here's the million-dollar question everybody has is how does the, how does this team go from scoring nearly 80 points against Texas uh, to, to what happened this past week? Are, are their legs gone? Is it just a bad night at the – Two bad nights at the office. I mean, what what do you, when you look at this team, do you see anything dramatically different from them offensively? Is it anything they're doing, think, or is it all defenses? I think at at two games in a row, you kind of chalk it up to just two bad shooting performances back to back, and and that's unfortunate. One's on the road, one's at home, so it doesn't really make a ton of sense. If it continues, if it lingers into next week, three, four games, whatever five games, then it becomes more of a trend and a problem. Now, this team has won a game shooting sixty nine percent from the field like they did against Mississippi State about a month ago at Thompson Bowling Arena. And they've won games against Maryland shooting 29%. They won Saturday against Auburn shooting 27%. So it's not like we haven't seen this team go from one night they're tearing it up on the offensive end to the next night it looks like they've never played offense in their life and and it's the first time they're shooting a basketball. So until I think it becomes stringing it four or five games in a row or something like that, it becomes more of a trend. Then you get concerned until otherwise, I think they're still – because we saw it last Saturday. They were number 31 or something, I think, in Ken Palm's adjusted offensive efficiency. I think they were number 64 after Auburn. So that's kind of the range of how quickly this can change. It's just a matter of is this a one- or two-game thing or is this a two- or three-week thing. Grant, how would you describe uh, Santiago Vescovi's kind of mentality right now, uh, his play of late? Uh, in, in this game, two of seven, one of six. He had that big play there towards the end, which was huge, that four-point play. But again, the last couple of games, how would you describe kind of his his um, his not preparation, but his mentality heading into these games? I mean, I don't I don't know if he's physically himself. Yeah. We talked to him last week, and I asked him if that if that shoulder was still bothering him. I guess that was Monday. We were talking about going to the Florida game and stuff like that. But he says his his shoulder's fine. He he doesn't really feel it. But just based on the shooting percentages, this happened. Uh, it first happened in December. He had a, a shoulder sprain, the left shoulder, his shooting shoulder. Then he kind of re-aggravated it in that loss against Kentucky early in that game when he hit the deck uh, going for a loose ball. And ever since then, if you kind of look at the numbers, um, he hasn't quite been himself. He's a better shooter than what he's shown the last you know month or so. And, and I don't know if that's why he would admit that the shoulder's bothering, but it, it's the only thing I can figure out because, yes, he's getting game plan for it, but he got game plan for a time last year too and he still made 102 three-point shots or something like that by the end of this year. So, I, I don't know. Zakai struggled, too, and maybe that's from being game-planned against. But I think Z- uh, Santi is more used to being that guy that other teams are trying to take away. Uh, for him to have as many, I don't know, off nights in a row, he still affects the games in other ways, and he gives you something on the court even when he's not making shots. Uh, but for him to string together some nights where it just looks like he's not shooting the ball well, it makes you wonder if that shoulder's 100%. Grant, I mean, this team, I mean, he's got to score, right? And Zakai has, I mean, they're not going to go as far as anybody wants them to go in the postseason if those guys, you know, can't find ways to score. Does does Coach, you think they need to play less minutes? Are they expending too much energy on the defensive end? Uh, I mean, and I know Santi's always been a good defensive player, and so is Zakai, but, I mean, both those guys are playing 32-plus minutes a game now. Is, is fatigue any kind of a factor? You say that, but then all of a sudden, Santi makes a three late, right? I mean, it. it right. so I don't know. I'm asking. I don't know. I mean, 
you know, Rick was talking about uh, Saturday night after the Auburn game. He's, he's talking about how happy he was with Jemai Meshack. And he's like, man, I, I go into games trying to figure out where can I get him some more minutes. So if fatigue is a factor, then, yeah, there, there are guys that are averaging over 30 minutes a night where you, you have to wonder how many how many nights in a row can that happen back to back to back uh, in terms of game days and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, if you wanted to lighten the load, yeah, you could. But, I mean, with Zakai, with Santi, those are the two guys that I've never really worried about in terms of fatigue because they're, you know, Rick says it all the time. They're in the best cardio shape of anybody on the team, anybody he's been around, coach, you know, all that stuff. So I, I don't know if it's a if it's a leg thing. Sometimes I think it's them passing up too many shots, you know, if that makes sense. Everybody sees all the shots that don't go in and, and complains about this offense, but there's so many possessions where there's passes, uh, shots passed up early in the possession. Later in that possession, it just becomes a turnover. I mean, these guys talk about all the time their offense starts when the ball's on the rim in terms of attacking the glass, going to get it and doing something with it. We'll put it on the rim then. I mean, right. stop passing up these shots. Stop looking for, you know, passing up a good shot for a great shot and just settle for the good shot and see what you can do. I don't, I don't know if it's fatigue. I, I would be surprised if it was for any of those two guys that we were talking about, but I don't know. We'll see uh, how they respond uh, starting this week at Vanderbilt. Grant, let me ask you this but before it jumps back in here. Big pitch for college football. We're seeing a bunch of ranked teams every week get beat, right? I mean, there's no – nobody's running the table here. We're also seeing scoring kind of fluctuate, right? I mean, when no, nobody's averaging 85, 87-plus a game on a consistent basis. Is that because shooting has dropped off? Is that defense has been able to switch – one through four, one through five, and you're not getting as many looks, you know, from some teams. What do you think? And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to encapsulate Tennessee into that equation as well. Why do you think it's been such a yo-yo this year? I think defensive versatility is probably a good place to start. I mean, everybody talks about wanting to be able to switch one through five. I mean, that's a that's a principle for Rick right there on his defense is versatility and those guys that he wants. Um in this game, in college basketball, I guess this season specifically, it feels like there's not a ton of superstars in this sport. I mean, Brandon Miller scored it at a crazy rate, but, I mean, there's other guys across the sport. Drew Timmy, I mean, he's – I don't know what his stats are. There's – there's, you know, there's just not a ton of huge names, it feels like, in the sport this year. And, and that's what I was thinking Saturday night when I was watching some other games. Like, it wasn't 46-43 like we watched at Thompson Bowling Arena, but it's, you know, Duke beats Carolina 63-57. It feels like there's a lot of these games – uh, Florida and uh, Kentucky, I believe, was in the 60s, something like that. Uh, it just feels like there's a lot of games where it just looks like the defense, I don't know what it is about college basketball or at this level, uh, where it's, I don't know if it's ahead of the offense or just outpacing the offense, or maybe it's that versatility you're talking about where uh, it's just more effective on the defensive end and it's just harder to score in this game for, for whatever reason. And it might just be right now, this point of the season, this is a tough kind of dog days part of the season where, it's not early anymore. It's not, you know, it's not late yet. You're working towards March, but you got a lot of tough games left on the schedule and you're trying to not get too far ahead of yourself. And uh, you're just trying to get through this. This And there's a lot of tough conference games for everybody this time of year. Grant Madspeed wants to know, is this basketball team too focused on the defensive end? And then Guy 23 said he'd like to see Tobe Awaka get some more minutes. What would you say to that? Uh, I would agree on Tobey. I thought he gave him something uh, good off the bench against Auburn in the first half on Saturday. Um, I think Jemai as well could could use a, a – I mean, Rick talked about how happy he was. I think he played seven minutes or something like that. And he had four points, I think, and maybe four shots in those seven minutes. Was, they need more of that. They need more guys that are aggressive. I don't know if they're too tuned in defensively. I think they might be thinking too much offensively. Just go out there and play ball. I mean, Rick's, Rick's thing is he's going to preach – play defense and get lost, you know, get lost in the game, 
starting on the defensive end. Worry about your defense. Worry about your rebounding, and your offense is going to uh, come to you. He's preached that every year I've been around him, and, and that's going to continue to be the focus. But I think they need to relax and just play basketball on the offensive end more and stop trying to have perfect possessions because they don't exist. Find a good shot, get it up, go go attack the glass and see what happens from there. Grant, any concern about this team pressing offensively after two games with, with, with you know, coming down, you know, the stretch here? I mean, you're talking about getting lost in the game. Do you think this team can do that or do you think that it can mount on them offensively, you know, and turn to, turn into three or four games here? I think Saturday was a big response because, you know, Florida was a disastrous start. 15-0 run for Florida early on. They got down 17-4. And then they, they cut it to single digits. It was, I think, six at halftime. They still had scoreless stretches there. They get back up. They Sorry, they take the lead at Florida for the first time in the second half or whatever it was. And they build the lead to six with about nine minutes left. And Florida goes on that 13-0 run. So I thought Saturday was a big response in terms of when shots aren't falling, they could have very easily lost that game. So I don't know if they're pressing offensively as much as they found some more answers defensively, as crazy as that sounds, as much as they've leaned on that defense too. Because it would have been really easy to lose that game against Auburn, and it would have been really easy for that to be a disastrous outcome, and you're worried about where this season's heading. Now, going to Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt's a bad basketball team. It's not an easy gym to score in because it's such a weird, unique place, and every team kind of has its own issues there. So that's different. Um, but I think the way they answered, I don't feel like they're pressing offensively because they have so much uh, faith and trust in their defense and, and knowing what they can do on the defensive end, if that makes any sense. Hey, Grant, last thing I got for you, man. How important is this next swing of games, Vanderbilt, Missouri, a couple quad two games before? Man, you're, I mean, and again, those won't be gimmies, but – you got your cut, your work cut out for you for Alabama and Kentucky after that. Yeah, you got to go to Vanderbilt. You've won 11 in a row in the series. You've won five in a row, I believe, at Vanderbilt. So you, that's a game you got to win. Uh, you're better than Vanderbilt. Go on the road, win that game. It doesn't matter if you're not at home. Missouri's a, a good basketball team. I think Dennis Gates is one of the best stories in the SEC this year in terms of what he's doing his first year there, what Missouri's done the last few years uh, before he got there. Now, they're not very good away from home. They went to Mississippi State Saturday night, lost by 11, never led in that game. So, Tennessee, having them at home, yeah, you need to take care of business this week, go 2-0, and because you've got a stretch coming up where it's Alabama, it's Kentucky, it's Texas A&M, it's Arkansas. you got to go back to Auburn uh, the last game of the season. So uh, it's a backloaded schedule. You better take care of business when you can. What's your hat? I can't tell what's on your hat. The Twin Cities. Minnesota baby. Twins. Yeah, I got I got I like uh, St. Paul guy on one side, the Minnesota guy on the other side. They're shaking hands over the river. It's uh, Kirby Puckett and Kent Herbeck. And, and, and this is our baseball guy, Hubs. You didn't even know who the twins were. I just couldn't see the hat. I mean, I can't see the hat. I mean, I, you know, I don't do you know, know who, do, do you know who Kirby Puckett is, Eric Kane? I, I do not. Kent Herbeck. Austin Price saw the water and he thought it was the South Pacific. What about, <laughs> what about Jack Morris? Do you know who Jack Morris is, Kane? Austin was trying to Jack figure Morris. Austin was trying to figure out what country club logo he was you had on your hat right there. So what you had going on with that one. Uh, ironically, we had Santi out on the locker room tonight, and I think he's wearing the exact same uh, you know, like mucus green sweatshirt that uh, Grant's wearing right now. It's just Olive, to be like man. me. It's Olive, all right. Hey, listen, we're just glad you don't have a hoodie on. You look presentable tonight. I guess you had church small group over, so that, that's that's what about a, me? Yeah. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. What about me? What about me? <laughs> he's got well, the flannel on the night huh here let me let me let me go like this. how's this is this better 
<laughs> Grant, appreciate it, man. Thanks Boo. for your time. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to what you got coming up tomorrow on the site. Thanks, Grant. All right. AP's in the show now. Austin, you had a chance to catch up with uh, Alec Ablin like we did here on the Rocky Top Rewind. You got a chance to catch up with Byron Young on the nation as well. Uh, first and foremost, your thoughts on the hire, the promotion from within of Tennessee's new tight end coach? Well, I think it's, it's you know, we, we've figured out real quick here that Josh Heupel is going to always go with comfort if he has the choice, in my opinion. Um, uh, very comfortable with Alec Ablin. The more I've spoke with Alec Ablin the last three, four, five days, the more impressed I am by him and the more I can see why Josh Heupel went the route he went. Um you know, I thought Abe did a really nice job. I was watching driving home to the locker room, watching him on with you guys. We had him on the nation. I thought he did well there as well. Um, you know, seems like a smart guy. And, and you know, literally, I mean, when I did the little thing with Cooper the other night. After we're done recording, Cooper goes, Austin. He goes, I, that, none of that was, you know, none of that was fake. He goes, he goes, he really connects well with the guy. The, guy, the players like Abe. And so he goes, he goes, I'm not worried about his ability to recruit. He goes, now he's, you know, probably going to have a learning curve just because it's different. But he goes, once he gets it, I think he'll be really good at it. So, you know, I mean, not that, you know, Cooper Mays is the end all be all as far as, you know, his take on everything. But, you know, I think he's got a pretty level head. And, you know, again, he's one of your target age group that you're trying to connect with uh, if you're a coach. So, you know, um, you know, I, I think that Alec Ablin is uh, – you know, going to, in the short term, really, uh, I think, be a nice hire for Josh Heupel. Again, long term, I think it depends on how well he uh, and how quickly he can adjust to recruiting. But uh, that's just something none of us know about. Austin, I feel like, at least from an offensive perspective, I mean, I, I know coaching will have a learning curve. And, of course, he's been in a coaching you know atmosphere the last couple of years, not being a player. But from the offensive mindset of it, I mean, he played in this offense. He has only coached in this offense at every step of the way he's been. And maybe because in this why I ask him, you know, he has an offensive line kind of background and everything, but the the transition over to tight ends and he's already worked with the tight ends group, it's should be kind of seamless there. I think from that perspective, it, it makes so much sense. And as you mentioned, I mean, he Heupel loves making the promotions from within because it's something that he covets and that's being his offense. Yeah, I, I thought his story with you guys about how you know, he got passed by as an offensive lineman going into his senior year and they moved him to tight end. I thought that was fascinating because, I yep. mean, again, that's something I sure didn't know, and I don't think anybody else did either, that, you know, he he's had a, you know, a, a chance to, you know, kind of be in the offense as a tight end, to understand the nuances of tight end. Um, it's not just as simple as, you know, you know, hey, you play quarterback, now you're going to coach tight ends, you know, or you played wide receiver, but now you're going to coach running backs. Um you know, he's actually done it in this offense. So, I mean, you know, that's a feather in his cap to be able to, you know, talk about his experience. We have a question here from Garrett Austin asking about Cam Miller and saying, do you ever think he's going to see the field? Haven't heard an awful lot about Cam Miller. Miller was switched from wide receiver to the defensive back room prior to last season. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a big spring for Cam. Um, you know, you, you hope that he can take a step, you know, whatever he did last year is irrelevant to me. He was nowhere near ready physically to play. Um, you know, I think playing single A and double A ball mentally going to this league, I'm not saying you can't do it because Trey Smith went from small school private or middle, you know, middle road private to, you know, starting in the SEC year one. So you can do it, but I do think there's a learning curve there. And so 
I, I don't worry about what happened last year. I think Cam's probably got to go through another year. You just hope he takes a step this year, you know, yeah. and, 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 and you'd hope you don't get like the, you know, well, I'm not playing. I'm going to go to the portal. Cause that's, that's what happens. I mean, like so much of uh, these players that aren't ready, you know, they cannot be ready. Like let's say those tackles hover, you know, some of those young tackles probably won't play this year. Are they going to knee-jerk it and run to the portal just because they're not played, or are they going to give it another year? So much of the reaction is for all players across the country to knee-jerk it and try to go to the portal before you're ready. Yeah, you know, and I think the other thing for, for Cam Miller is I think we're still unsure exactly where he plays, right? I mean, I don't think he's locked into safety. Yeah, what's his position? How big is he going to get? You know, what can they – you know, what where can he find um, – this spring, how big does he get this winter size-wise? How much weight does he put on? What does he turn into physically? And, and, and as he changes, Austin, does that help him get on the field or does that hurt his chances to get on the field? Because his body's going to change. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, he came in and, and physically, yeah, he was nowhere close to being ready to go. Um, you know, uh, not that he was super out of shape. He just, he just wasn't there. And so, um, you know, I, I think for Cam – you know, being able to spend an entire year in the weight room is a good thing. You know, I've not seen him lately. And so I'd like to see what he does look like having, uh, you know, as he goes through another uh, winter conditioning. It hasn't happened yet, but I do want to give you your props. You you started this uh, really a couple months ago. Uh, Darnell Wright, first rounder. There's been a lot of chatter about Darnell Wright potentially sneaking in that first round. There's still months to go before the draft, but he had a really good week down in Mobile for the Senior Bowl. He was uh, American practice offensive lineman of the week voted on by the defensive lineman and the guys he went up against in practice I think that's a, a huge accomplishment um what can you say about the the Tennessee offensive tackle who man he's still so young got so much experience and it feels like he really helped himself out this past week yeah I think that's the biggest feather in Darnell's cap he's super young I mean he's yeah. just 21 when he enters fall camp uh in the NFL he'll turn 22 and he'll have started for four years at the collegiate level having done all that and started ever bit for four years um, I, I'm not surprised. Uh, you know, Dar Darnell hasn't done interviews outside of doing some few things with me. And so he's, he's more of a mystery, I think for NFL teams, but I think the more he talks, the more he interviews, he's going to interview. Well, he's an engaging kid. Um, you know, who's got a big heart who, you know, uh, probably gets it more than most people think he does. And then I will be stunned. I sit here on what is today? The 5th of February. Yeah. I will be stunned when the combine rolls around in three weeks' time if he doesn't test off the charts at his size. Jumping, running, shuttle, all that stuff. I think he will be dynamite at the combine. I just And, and again, doing it at his size is what's most impressive. Um, I, I think he'll show well there, and I think he gets into the first round. I, I just have always felt that he has so much upside and really – when you think about where he was when Glenn Ellerby got him, where he is as Glenn Ellerby, uh, you know, pushes him to the NFL. I mean, two totally different kids. Kid loved Ellerby, bought into everything, and he to me, that's the best thing going for Glenn Ellerby. You want Darnell Wright to get drafted in the first round. Yeah, you and want to be able to turn around and go, hey, look at this. Yeah, no doubt. Here's the other thing too. If I'm an NFL team, okay, I want. I want to talk to Darnell Wright, but I don't want the director, just the director of scouting talking to him or an assistant GM or the GM. I want to take Darnell Wright and put him in the room with the old line coach and see how they click and see how they go. 
because one of the biggest growths for Darnell Wright, as Austin just mentioned, was, was the fact that he resonated with Glenn Ellerby. And I love Darnell. Darnell doesn't trust out the gate, right? And and, and if he doesn't trust Austin, he'll shut he'll shut down. Like he'll, I mean, he doesn't. I'm not saying he quits or anything like that, but he's his engagement level at Tennessee um, in terms of work ethic, in terms of everything he did, jumped dramatically under Glenn Ellerby because he bought into Glenn Ellerby from day one. They connected for whatever reason. I think that's going to be important for whatever NFL team looks to draft Darnell Wright, because I think he's got to click with that guy. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. Um, you know, I, I will give Darnell a lot of credit. You know, a lot of people were, were head-scratching when he requested to go back to the right side, to leave left tackle, go to right tackle. But I think he just made himself a ton of money going to, the right, going to that right tackle spot because that's where he feels comfortable. You know, not saying he can't play left. He can play left in the NFL. They needed him to. He played left this last weekend. Yeah. So, But, I mean, like, I, I think that, you know, He's somebody that's got versatility. I think Darnell's also a guy that can play guard if they needed him to. You know, he's kind of got this weird body that, like, he's long enough to play tackle. He's big enough to play tackle. But he's also kind of big enough to play inside as well if they needed him to. He's got versatility. Again, I, I think sky's the limit. A kid that, again, is just 21 years old and has four years of starting experience at college. Yeah, you know, so, so many of the kids that go to college now were held back a year and are 19 when they entered. Darnell was 17 when he entered. It's a huge difference. I, you know, it's interesting. I don't think, Eric, that Darnell did this. This was no – no. I mean, he, did, he, he moved to, to the right side because he was most comfortable there. So he goes to the senior bowl, and everybody got, everybody's got on your sheet of paper. You have two questions about Darnell Wright. One, what's this dude all about? Because he never talked to anybody, right? We never saw him. We never heard an interview with him other than – as Austin mentioned, a couple of things. So that's question one. The other question you're going to ask is, why does a guy move from left to right? So what do you do? Physically, you throw him to the left side to see if he can play left. And guess what? He does okay over there at left tackle, and he generates even more momentum. That wasn't his plan, but it really works out in his favor that, you know, he answered that question on the field this week because everybody was going to take him immediately, Eric, and slide him over to the left side and figure out what the problem was. Yeah. Wait a minute. Why is this? Why is this guy a junior left tackle, but he goes back to right? Like, what's the weakness there? Oh, wait a minute. He could play legitimately either side. And I think too, if you if you ask him and ask his coaches and and dig kind of read between the between the lines a little bit, you're in a situation where sure he might be more comfortable on the right side, but also you're helping the team out when you move back to the right side because you were in a situation last year where you had an incoming tackle. You weren't sold on the one you had in, in Jeremiah Crawford potentially at the time. You had um, uh, 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 the Mincy. Yeah, Gerald Mincy coming in. And he's in the position to where he just plays left tackle. So in order to try to get the best five guys out there on the field, moving back to right tackle was kind of a necessity at the time. And so even more so than that, it's, it's showing that he could be a team player. So he had a really good week, played a little left, played a little right tackle. I watched most of it. And I read a bunch of articles about him down in Mobile. So Intrigued to see what, what this happens from him and, of course, the combine and the draft. Uh, Dan wants to know, that's a question for both of you guys, and that's a fair question right now, honestly. Uh, better offensive lineman, Trey Smith or Darnell Wright, in your opinion, maybe at the time of them leaving their college careers? Well, Trey's I, up there I, in the NFL now. Trey, Trey's a guard who can play tackle. Yeah. And Darnell is a tackle who can play guard. Um, I, don't, I don't think you can totally compare the two. Um, I think they're both just really, really good. And, uh, you know, again, I, I look at, like, 
you know, like somebody put on there the other day, I hope my, Steel, hope, hope my Steelers take, you know, Darnell Wright. Dude, I think Darnell Wright, if he went to a team like Pittsburgh, would flourish. You know, getting there with a veteran coach like Tomlin and, and some of those veteran staffs that he has, I think he would just flourish. Again, I think it's all about fit. I told Trey Smith, like, when, after he got drafted, I'm like, the best thing that ever happened to you, brother, was going to a team that's established a quarterback. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, you look at Cade. Cade's fine over there at Carolina, but they're so unsettled at quarterback. You know, whereas, like, in Kansas City, Mahomes is there for the next 15 years. I mean, Trey, he'll play, Trey will play 10-plus years in the NFL, have the same quarterback in every game, unless he somehow ends up not playing with the Chiefs. Yeah, I think the inter- I think it's an interesting question trying to compare the two because they're they're hard to compare. Trey was the more polished, more prepared player um, in the eyes of everyone, but he had he had the the health issue that scared everybody away. Yep. But but I I mean I'm not sure that NFL people if they put the truth monitor on him aren't going to look at him and go Darnell's got a higher ceiling. But again, it's because he can play tackle. Tackle in that league is so hard to play. Trey's going to play forever and make a gazillion dollars playing guard, assuming he stays healthy. And you're right, he's in the perfect place for him. And I'm not, I say that about Darnell's ceiling being higher. And that's not to say Trey can't play because Trey obviously played as a rookie. He started as a rookie in the NFL. I mean, come on, right? But, you know, Darnell is. Darnell's going to, his measurables are going to be better. His athleticism is going to be better. Um, and he plays tackle. So a lot of people are going to fall in love with his upside. Now, will, will it pan out the way Trey is? Trey was so mature, such a pro when he was here the whole time and when he left. Darnell has been, Darnell's still a kid. He does not have the same business approach, Austin, that Trey has. That's a big difference between those two. That's something else Darnell has to answer in this draft process. Yeah, I mean, Trey Trey was Trey was 30 at 17. Right. He was yeah, old I mean, soul. Old he soul. looked like it and spoke like it. You know, and Darnell, it's not to say Darnell can't handle himself, because I think he can, 100%. But, again, he's not been pushed into the limelight to talk a ton, to, to, to do all those things. Um, you know, so, like, you know, again – I go back to you know, everybody's saying you know get into the back end of round one. Well, you're either getting you're getting drafted by one or two type of teams in the in the back of round one. You're either getting drafted by a team that just went deep in the playoffs, which is normally means you're pretty good at quarterback, and that's kind of what I'm talking about with Trey. Or you're getting drafted by a team that traded back into the end of round one uh, from the front of round two because they were trying to get a player like Darnell Wright that they didn't think would be there. And so um, you know again, I, I think for Darnell, you know. Uh, sky's the limit. Again, I, I can't wait to see three weeks from now. I'm going to have my tonsillectomy on the 21st, and I'm going to be laid up watching the combine, and I'll be interested to see how he does, you know, while I'm sitting there eating ice cream because I think that he'll I, – I just – I will be shocked, shocked if he's not, uh, you know, numbers-wise through the roof. Yeah, another note, too, on Darnell Wright. I know we just got a minute or so left here, but, you know, when Heupel came, Austin – he was he was north of three fifty five, wasn't he? And yeah. they said I said, Hey, you gotta lose twenty to twenty five pounds now. And he did. And he shrunk down. And, well, and again, that's that is a in my opinion, that is another example of when he is dedicated to something, when he puts his mind to something, he will go out there and do it, accomplish it, and and look at the career he's had at well, Tennessee. So COVID as pointed out by Darnell himself on of Alco Confidential, COVID destroyed Darnell. Yeah. He went home to West Virginia because everybody was at home. 
he was eating pizza and burgers and Twinkies and everything, and he got up north of 360. So he play, he came back and he played that 2020 year way overweight, which means at the end of that year when Hypo and them arrived, yes, he was way overweight. And and they kind of, you know, again, back to Hubs's point about, you know, buying into Glenn Ellerby. When he yeah. bought into Ellerby, he bought into the weight room, everything that they were selling, boom, boom, boom. And again, when he's focused, he's really good. All right, big thank you to Alec Ablin, Tennessee's new tight end coach, for joining the show here tonight. Grant Ramey and Austin Price, a lot of uh, NFL draft buzz with the Senior Bowl wrapping up. And as Austin pointed out, NFL Combine is going to be in a couple weeks. There'll be pro days, all that more. And there'll be you know, potentially not one, not two, maybe even three potential volunteers looking to be drafted in the first round, but a lot of time between now and then. A lot of stuff over VolQuest.com. Come and check us out. $29.99 for a one-year subscription over VolQuest.com. That deal is good until kickoff. Take advantage of it right now. $30 for a one-year subscription of VolQuest.com until kickoff 2023. For Brent Hubs, hey, Austin hold Price. Hold on a second. Programming note to everyone yes. out there. We're going to watch the Super Bowl next Sunday because I'm not sure anybody's interested in talking about anything else other than that point. So we are not going to do a show next Sunday night. So um, mark your programming note there. We're we're taking a one-week hiatus with the Super Bowl, and then we will be back at it uh, in, in two weeks here. So uh, if you're looking for us next Sunday night, you're not going to see us. We're, we're not doing away with the show. We're not disappearing. We're going to take a week off so everybody can enjoy the Super Bowl, and then we'll be back at it the week after. And at that point, Tennessee will be about a, mo- a little less than a month away from the start of spring practice. Who you got, Hubs? Eagles or Chiefs? I'm going to take the Eagles to win in this game. I think I'm going to take the Eagles. Everything says pick the Eagles, but I will pick Kansas City because Patrick Mahomes. What about you? I'm going to go with the uh, the Chiefs as well for the same reasons you just said. Everything says Eagles to me, like the toughness, the defense. But Mahomes just finds a way. He had no business winning the AFC Championship game. No everybody out. You and I were out there running routes for the Chiefs. Yeah, he finds a way on one leg, too. All right, that'll do it here for this edition of the Rockies Out Rewind for Awesome Price and uh, Brent Hubs. I'm Eric Kane. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us here today. We'll see you in a couple of weeks for another uh, edition of the Rocky Top Roundtable. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.